At that welcome desk, we have a special gift to say thanks for checking us out, but we also want to give you an invite to join us again and answer any questions you might have. If it's your second or third time with us, or maybe you've been coming for a while and you've never let us know that you're here, we would love to see you over there. We have another gift, but more importantly, we want to hear how your time has been so far, answer any questions that have come up between your first visit and now, and ultimately, we just want to connect with you. If you've been with us for a while, you can still use that same card to get in touch with us. Maybe you're interested in joining a ministry team. You can let us know on that card. You can also write down your prayer requests and praises so that we can join you in prayer for what is happening in your life. So please utilize that card and let us know how we can be praying for you this week. Confident Living meets on Wednesday nights here at Bethel. If you didn't get a chance to sign up, we would still love for you to join. This is a great way to meet new people and build community here at Bethel. It's an encouraging time of digging into God's word. Signups are out in the lobby, so if you haven't signed up yet, please head out there after service. We are so glad you're joining us today. Now let's welcome Pastor Ken. It's me, I'm Jerry, for those of you who don't know. I'm, my, I'm not Ken. Um, Maybe one day. Um, uh, yeah, so my name's Jerry. Uh, I am one of the pastors uh, here, and I'm glad you guys decided to join us this morning. Um, I want to th- start things off with a question by asking a question. And the question is this, is when you think about people, what do you think? When you think about people, what do you think? When you think about the world as we know it, America, humanity, do you think good thoughts? Do you think optimistic thoughts? Or do you think, oh, well, back in my day, the kids didn't do this. Do you think... Oh, it's going the way, you know, south. It's going bad. Are you hopeful? Are you optimistic? Are you frustrated with the current condition of people, the current condition of America, the current condition of your workplace, the current condition of your family? Or are you hopeful? Do you look at the bad or do you look at the good? Growing up, one of my favorite um, movies was uh, Italian Job. And now I realize it's just a mediocre movie about bank robbers and fast cars. But back then, it was one of my favorite movies. And there was a quote in that movie um, that like stuck with me. And the quote was this. It was, I trust people. I just don't trust the devil inside of them. And this quote was given by the patriarch of the, of the family. It was given by an old wise sage. And it was, it was something that was said multiple times in the movie. I trust people. I don't trust the devil inside of them. And this seems wise on the surface. This seems like a good idea. This seems like something, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You want to not give yourself away too much. You want to stay protected because of the evil that's potentially in others, the hurt that you could potentially have because of others and the darkness that's in them. And, and it sounds wise, but it's also kind of bleak, isn't it? It's also kind of depressing to think about only the bad that's in someone else and not the potential for good, not the image of God that they were created in, not the good that they could live, but only focus on the devil inside of them. As, as I was preparing for this message this week, I came across this picture, um, and it's an optical illusion, and so I want you to look at this and tell your neighbor, somebody close to you, like what the first thing you saw was, and then see if you see the other thing. It's okay, you can talk in church. Um, Because in this, there's there's two things, as you kind of see. There's the first thing that I saw when it was a small little, like, Google icon that in Google Images before I opened it up, was I saw saw the little girl. I saw an innocent picture of a beautiful, sweet, peaceful girl having, you know, a, a picnic on a blanket. And then I opened it up, and I saw that there was actually this skull in the background, that the skull was just as big as the picture of the girl. And it could easily be a picture of a skull, or it could be a picture... Of a, of a girl. And I, and, I, and I thought, man, like that's an illustration for humanity, isn't it? That's an illustration for all of us. And that's an illustration for, for how we can see each other. 
You see, we can see the evil in other people. We can see the pain. We can see the potential for hurt, for shame, for guilt, past mistakes. And we can see ugly in humanity. Or we can also see the image of God that we were created in. We can see the potential for good, the potential for love, the potential for peace. And what we're titling today's talk is I See in You. And that's what we're talking about, is what do we see when we see others? What do we see when we look at others' hearts, others' souls, others' potential? What do we see when we see others? We're in the second week of our series, Everybody Always. And this series is loosely tied to a book um, written by Bob Goff. It's titled Everybody Always. And what it's about is loving everyone all the time. Irregardless of what they've done, irregardless of who they are, irregardless of all of those things, loving everybody always. That that's the gospel message. That the gospel tells us that Jesus loves everyone always and wants to, wants to take their sin, take their shame, take their guilt, take their ugly, and replace it with beauty. Restore the image of God that they were created to live out of. And that's what this series is about. And today, what we're talking about is developing an I see in you attitude so that we can love everyone always. And what an I see in you attitude is about is it's about vision. It's about changing the way we see people and shifting that to see the good instead of the bad. You know, there are lots of different ways that we can look at people when we think about people. There are lots of different lenses that we could put on, if you will, different glasses that we can look through. You see, we can look through a broken lens where we see the problems in others, where we see their brokenness, where we see the things that they need to fix and the things that they, and we, we view people as projects and we want to, you know, solve them and they're either projects or they're just people to be tolerated. And we can view people through a broken lens where we see their hurts, their flaws, their shame. You know, and there's, there's another lens that we can look at people through and that's a self-protection lens. That's like, you know, where, where you want to you keep yourself safe. This lens is suspicious of others. This lens holds on to past hurt. This lens projects that hurt onto others. And if, if this, you're hurt when you're wearing this lens, then you're going you're gonna to either further isolate yourself or you're going to gossip and start drama and make war. It's a self-protection lens where you're always suspicious and wanting to stay safe. There's also a similarity lens where you're only looking for people who are like you. You're, you have blinders on, so to speak, and you're only looking for people who agree with you, for people who are going to recite your opinions back to you. You don't branch out and go talk to people of different faiths, of different creeds, of different nationalities or political parties. You, you, you look for those people who are going to repeat those things back to you. Um, and then there's another lens, and this is maybe the most popular lens that we wear, the easiest lens to put on, and this is the value lens. This is the lens that we look at people as dollar signs, and we assess their worth based on what they have, based on what they have, and they can add to me. Based on, we give value to people based on their position in society, based on their career, based on how big their house is or how big their boat is or where their vacation homes are. And if they can add value to me, if they can make my life better, well then, then yeah, welcome, in. come on, we, we can have, we'll, we'll have lunch together, we'll have breakfast together, I'll spend time with you if you can add value to me. And with this lens, you view friends as merely a network. Friends is a network that can help you and advance you in your career. But you know, none of these lenses are the lens that our creator wears, and none of these lenses are the lens that we were created to wear. You see, the lens that we were created to wear was the lens that says, I see in you. The I see in you lens, where we look at others and we look to cultivate the image of God. 
where we see their, their mistakes and their guilt and their shame and their, their failures and shortcomings merely as sin that's made them sick and not evil that's made them bad worth throwing out. And you want to cultivate the good. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And we're going to do that by looking at Jesus and his relationship with his disciples. And we're going to kind of track through their life. But before we do, I want to take a moment and I want to pray um, for us and then we'll jump into the scripture. God, I thank you so much for your love. I thank you so much that, that you love us even when we make really, really dumb, big mistakes. God, I pray that this morning we would have an encounter with your love, that we would have a deeper connection to your love, and that we would leave changed, that we would leave encouraged, that we would leave ready to participate in your, redeem, in your redemption of your world. God, we love you so much. Thank you for loving us in your name. Amen. So this I see in you lens, nobody wore it better than Jesus, right? Nobody wore this lens better than Jesus who was God in flesh. And so we're going to look at his relationship with his disciples and what are some of the characteristics of this lens, of this way of seeing people and interacting with the world that we can uh, jump on board with. So what I want to do is I want to start by looking at uh, Mark chapter 3 and the first time that we see all 12 disciples listed at once. So I've got it here. It's going to be up on the screen here. It says this. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. Those he wanted, he called to them. He said, I I want you. He appointed the 12 that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. To preach and have authority. Jesus is saying, hey, I want you, I want you, I want you. Come to me. You have authority, and now go. And then he lists them. These are the 12 uh, he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to him he gave the name, however you say that, uh, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. And if, if we're looking at this list in like, you know, 2018, and we're looking at this list, we're like, man, that's some heavy hitters on that list. Like, look at this. He's got, he's got Peter, like first off, like, you know, the rock that the church was built on. Like, what a, what a strong leader. He's got James, son of John, John, James, son of John, James, son of Zebedee brother to John, right? These these guys, sons of thunder, bold, courageous, leaders of the church. We look at all of these lists and these, these saints, these men of God that would go on to do amazing and incredible things. We see on this list, we see Philip. We see Philip who was responsible for taking the gospel and had a passion for the nations and getting outside of Jerusalem and even outside of Rome. We see all of these people. In this list, we see saints who changed the world. We see powerful men. And oftentimes, like, if I'm going to be honest, I would say, man, if I just had people like this in my life, if I had people who worked for me that were like this, if my small group was made up of guys that were like this, man, like what world-changing like power could we be capable of? And maybe if you, you know, have, you know, people that work for you at your job and you were like, man, if I just had people who were bold, who were courageous, who lived their lives like this, then I could do something amazing. Then we could have an awesome leadership team. If, if this were my small group, man, what could we do? If these people were in our church, then think of all the amazing things we could do if this was our people. But the, the thing is, at this time, when this passage was in the, in the historical context, when this passage was written, when, when these men were called to Jesus and Jesus said, I want you, I want you to follow me, I want you to be on my team, this list was full of guys that nobody really would have picked, that nobody would have chosen because 
they weren't the smart. They weren't the elite. The Bible actually says that they were unschooled, ordinary men, just like a lot of us. Unschooled and ordinary. You know, when we look at this list, we see Peter. We see on this list Peter and James and John. I don't know all the careers of every one of the disciples, but I know what they were. They were fishermen. And in that day, the fishermen were rough. They worked with their hands and hooks and spears and nets and fish and waves and storms. And they, 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 they were rough on the outside, but they were also like rough on the inside. And the way they would talk was crude and loud and rowdy. Nobody would respect them. They, they, were, they, weren't, like, like they were important to society, but they weren't valued by society. Nobody grew up wanting to be a fisherman. They just kind of fell into that career. They were just hardworking grunts. They, they were important, but they weren't valuable. And by no means were they leaders and definitely not world changers. And, and then there's another guy on this list who I know who, what his career was, and it's Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. And, like, I bet most people in the room, when you hear the IRS, you're like, not, probably not my favorite people, right? We, we would agree that most people don't really like the IRS in our day, but, you know, we get it. It's a job. Back in this, back in this time, the, the IRS, the tax collectors, they were, like, evil. They were viewed as, like, we, it's, it's okay to kick them out of society. If you insult a tax collector, it, it's okay. They're, like, they're the bottom of, of the barrel. They're the lowest of the low. And here's, here's why. It's because Israel was under, like, con- the control of the Roman government. The Romans had come in, and they said, hey, we're going to take over your land and take all your stuff, and we're going to control you. But now we're, and we're going to keep you safe. And, but Israel's like, but we didn't want you to be here in the first place. And it's like, oh, no, that's okay. You can pay us. And so, like, Israel is having to pay taxes to Rome, who's, like, not their government. Like, they don't want you're not in control of our country, but they were, so they had to pay them taxes. And on top of this, how they collected these taxes was they found people who were in the community. They found people who, who were in the society and who would volunteer to be tax collectors. And then he, the Roman government would say, all right, Matthew, you are responsible for collecting 10% of the tax. But how Matthew would make his money, how he would make his income, is he would charge 20%, 30%, 40%, 50%. And he would up the taxes that Rome was taxing. And so he's, he's not only a sellout, he's a thief. He's a traitor. Like rightfully so, he's been kicked out of society. He's been ignored. He's been pushed aside. It, justifiably so, he's hated and cast out of society. And Jesus says, hey, Matthew, follow me. I have something better for you. Hey, Matthew, I see in you better than you're living right now. I see something better for your future than a thief, than a, a social outcast. Than, than someone who betrayed their own family. I see something better. Come follow me. And Matthew said yes. And after Matthew followed Jesus, there's actually like a story that we see in the Bible where Jesus is having dinner with, with, with Matthew and um, some of Matthew's friends. And some of the religious leaders of the day are like, hey, what are you doing? I'm, I'm going to read that now. It says this. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, that's another name for Matthew, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him. And his disciples uh, for, they were, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with sinners? Like, hey, 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 you, you're, you're friends with Jesus, right? And he says he's like a religious guy. Does he know that, like, some of, some of these people that he's eating with, like, are thieves? Some of these people he's eating with have had affairs. Some of these people he's eating with have, like, gossiped. Some of the people that he's eating with are liars. These people aren't good people. They're dirty. Why is he doing this? And Jesus hears this, and Jesus says to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, 
but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. And in this phrase, we see Jesus' vision of people. He doesn't view them as evil. He doesn't view them as garbage, as trash. He views them as sick. He, he sees sin has made us sick. You see, Jesus understood that I see in you doesn't care what others see. When you have an I see in you lens, when you look at others and are looking for their value, you're not caring what others see. You're not allowing the opinions and the judgments of society and culture to place value on people. You see, Jesus is looking for those who would receive God's love and allow it to transform their lives. He's looking for those who would say, yes, I need God's love. I need God's transformational power in my life. That's who Jesus was calling. He wasn't calling those who had it all together, who looked perfect or had all the answers. He was looking for those who were going to accept help. But you know, that's not it. It doesn't stop there because it's easy when, when you are in relationship with people who may need a little bit of extra grace, people who may need a little bit of extra kindness, who may need a little bit of understanding, to give that like once, to give that twice, but then to kind of get frustrated and pull back from the relationship, to get frustrated and maybe push them away. But that's not what Jesus did with his disciples. Jesus shows us that an I see in you attitude doesn't quit, that I see in you doesn't quit. It's not a once and done thing. It's not me one time going over and saying, hey, your life could be better. Here's this, you know, truth, this gospel message, and that's it, and then walking away. No, Jesus continues to give grace. Jesus continues uh, to persevere in these relationships. All throughout the ministry of Jesus, all throughout the life of Jesus, we see his disciples making mistake after mistake after mistake, doing like wrong thing after wrong thing, and going their own way, and Jesus having to corral them back, being prideful, and Jesus bringing them back, being ignorant, and Jesus having to bring them back. We see it over and over and over and over again. And, and you know what's, what's interesting, what I thought about this week as I was preparing for this, was the, the books of the Bible were written by the disciples, and so the disciples literally are writing down their own mistakes, are writing down their own failures, are writing down the, their own times where they looked dumb, where they looked wrong. The disciples are writing this down. And why, why, why would they do that? Why would the disciples highlight their own mistakes? Well, they, they're not highlighting their own mistakes. They're highlighting the grace of Jesus. Jesus' grace perseveres, and so should ours. Jesus' grace perseveres, and so should ours. And that's what the disciples are highlighting. They're saying, we've received grace over and over and over again, and so should you. Let me give you a few examples. There's one um, that, that is, is a funny story with, with James and John, and they're talking with Jesus. Um, and I'm going to read that now. It starts like this. It says this. And then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask, like Okay, coming in, coming in hot, sons of thunder. Um, what do you want me to do, Jesus asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. It's a little bold. James and John are like, hey, hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus, come here. We got, we got, we got a request for you. You know, like, you're doing some important things, but we're, we're pretty important ourselves. We're, we're good leaders ourselves. We're strong. When, when you go sit in heaven one day on your throne, can, can we sit by your right and your left? And Jesus answers. He says, you don't know the cup you're asking Jesus said, can you drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Basically, do you think you're my equal? And they answer, we can. Oof. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. Um, but to sit at my right and my left is not for me to grant. 
These places belong to those who, uh, for whom they've been prepared. Like, this whole interaction just, like, bleeds, like, ignorant arrogance. Like, they're saying, like, hey, Jesus, just, we want immunity. We've got a question, and we want you to say yes before we ask. That, like, that's how it starts. And then they ask, like, to be elevated to his right and to his left, elevated above all of the other disciples. And, and get this, we're going to continue on the conversation in a minute and, like, what the conversation with Jesus and them have. But they must have interpreted this as a yes, like Jesus' response here, they must have interpreted that as a yes because the very next thing that we see is all the other disciples found out somehow. All the other disciples found out about this conversation but that James and John had with Jesus. And I don't think Jesus went and told all the other disciples. So James and John, one of them must have told some other people, let it out to the other disciples, that they were going to be at the right hand and the left hand of Jesus in heaven. And so then the, the, the next, you know, the conversation continues. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them all together, and he said this, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and the high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become, or whoever of you wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In, in, in corporate hustle, in, in you know, current speak, and in, in if this were, you know, Jesus were speaking in today's hustle, he'd say this. He'd say there's the corporate ladder, and that corporate ladder says that you start as an intern, and then you become a project manager, and then you become a lead, and then you become full-time, and then you, you, you get some superiors, and you get some direct reports, and then you climb even higher, and then maybe one day you'll own your own company. And it says, hustle hard, climb the ladder, have relationships with the people above you, and forget the people below you, because the people above you, they're the ones that are going to help you succeed. They're the ones that are going to get more people below you. Corporate success says that if you're successful, there are lots of people who serve you. And the same is true now, and the same was true then. And Jesus says, hey, my kingdom's a little bit different. My, my, the, the way I operate is a little bit different. He says it's different. But in this, he doesn't shame James and John. You know, like their, their, their arrogant pride that just, just bleeds ignorance. Like, he doesn't shame them. He doesn't say, you idiots. He doesn't kick them out. He doesn't push them aside or punish them for causing drama and for causing, you know, things to be upset within the disciples. He doesn't push them aside, but he just says, hey, I'll just correct you. Hey, that's not how things work. Think about it this way. View things with a new lens. And then there's another example, and this is probably one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It comes in John 21, and it's Peter's reinstitution where Peter's reinstated into um, the, the, the disciple, you know, group. He's reinstated into Jesus. His relationship with Jesus is fixed. Well, why did it need to be fixed? Well, on the day that Jesus was betrayed by one of his close friends, abandoned by all of his other friends, tortured, tried for some crimes he didn't commit, tortured again, tortured some more, and then killed. On, on that day, Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest friends, one of Jesus' even closest disciples, Peter, said, I don't know Jesus. I don't know Jesus. And then, like, to a little girl, he, he brings down curses on himself and says, blank, 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 I don't know him. And at that moment, when he's cursing his relationship with Jesus, locks eyes with Jesus, Jesus knows what he's done, Peter knows that Jesus knows, 
and the relationship is fractured. It's, it, it would seem. It would seem that Peter's gone too far. It would seem that Peter's made a mistake that, well, you, were, you, you did have potential, but when you literally curse my name and curse our relationship, that might be the point where Jesus would say enough is enough and be done with Peter. And Peter, I, I, don't, I don't know what Peter's thinking at this point. I don't know where Peter's at. I don't know if Peter thinks that his potential is lost, if maybe that mistake is too big. But then there's a scene after Jesus rises from the dead. There's a scene where Jesus and Peter are sitting on the beach. And there's a lake, and they're having breakfast around the campfire. And, and Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I do. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I do. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I do. Feed my sheep. Follow me, Peter. Follow me. Jesus says the same thing to Peter, the same thing that he started with. Follow me. The same grace that was there at the beginning for Peter is the same grace that was there at the middle, is the same grace that carried him through his whole ministry. Follow me. Jesus saw in Peter and in his disciples what no one else did because he knew the transformational power of God's love. Because of the transformational power of God's love. And you know, the same thing is true for us. God sees the same thing in us. He, he, he sees people who are sick with sin, not people who are worth rejecting or throwing aside. There's nothing so broken that God can't fix it. There's nothing so dead that God can't bring it back to life. And there's nothing so lost that God can't find it. That's, that's the message of the gospel. It's redemption. It's reconciliation. It's transformational love. And when we've been loved that way, when we've received the love of God that way, man, it, it should change the way we live. That kind of love should change our lives and the way we interact with the world. You see, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus said that he came so that we could have life and life more abundantly. Those, those who are sick, he gives life and healing to. He heals those who are sick so that then they can go and pass that healing on to others. Those who are hurting, God brings healing to so they can go and pass that on to others. So I'll close with some questions and, and then we'll... We'll end with a song, but the questions are this. Is, do you struggle wearing the broken lens, a lens where you see people as problems to be managed or issues to be fixed and tolerate people? Well, then remind yourself of the grace you've received and let go of your pride. Do you struggle with wearing the lens of self-protection where you're suspicious and worried of others? Well, then remind yourself of the strength of God's redeeming love. Let go of bitterness. Do you struggle wearing a similarity lens where you only look for those opinions that agree with and, and you try and keep your view and maybe even your view of God so narrow and so closed and so shut off that, 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 that you can't have differing opinions, that you can't have other politics, that you, you can, that if you're a Christian Republican, then you only hang out with Christian Republicans. If you're a Christian Democrat, then you only hang out with Christian Democrats. If you're, you know, this and this, and do you have a similarity mindset where you're closed off to others? Well, then remind yourself that God's big enough to handle some questions, that God's big enough to handle some debates? Do you struggle with wearing a value lens where you're only looking at others and how they can boost your career and how they can boost your social status and how they can boost your net worth? Well, here's my challenge for you is give away, give back. Spend time with people who have no ability to give anything to you. Give yourself away and give back to others. 
This week, let go of pride, let go of fear, let go of insecurity, and choose to see the good in others. Choose to see the image of God in others. Choose to see the beauty in the world around us. God's call for the Christ follower, God's call for for the world is to join him in redemption, is to be redeemed, is to be changed and transformed by the love of God, and then pass that on to others. And we're going to close with with a song. John's going to come, and he's going to lead us in a song that talks about the, the beauty in creation, the beauty in nature, the beauty in the trees, the beauty in the forest. But it also talks about the beauty in our relationships, the beauty in our relationships with our world around us. And it says that creation wants to cry out and praise God, that creation wants to worship God. It's saying that creation's desire is to give God praise, and so should ours be. So should we be. To give praise to God in church, sure, but also in our relationships, but also in our workplaces, also with those people in our families, also with our in-laws who kind of annoy us. That our, our purpose in the world is to bring people to God so they can praise him, so their lives can be fixed. There's, there's a passage in Ezekiel um, 37 that, that I want to read to close our time up now and, and to finish things off. And this, this passage like, I think captures this whole idea. It was written thousands of years before Jesus, um, but it's still relevant thousands of years after. And it's a call to redemption. Here it is. It's Ezekiel 37. It says this. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. Bones that were very dry. He said, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make, I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound as the bones came together bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath, from the four winds and breathe into these slain so that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. That's us. That's our role in society. That's the call of the Christ follower, is to be the breath of Jesus, bringing life to those we come in contact with. Spoke to the dark 
fleshed out the wonder of life. And as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born. speak in vain, syllable empty your voice. Once you have spoken, all nature and science follow the sound of your Catch your breath, evolving in pursuit of what you said. If it all reveals an ancient soul, will I? I can see your heart and everything you say. Every pain. Stars made to worship, so will I. The mountains bow and rest, so will I. As the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. For if everything exists to lift you high, so will I. Cry out. 
It's always with us. There's nothing we can do. We can push him away. He's there for us in our worst moments, our biggest failures. He loves us. He calls us back. He says, my son, my daughter, come home. Be transformed, be changed. And as Christ's followers, his sons and daughters who have been called home, who have been brought back into the fold, we get to go out, we get to share that love, share that goodness. God's breath has been breathed into us. And we get to breathe that in to those in our lives. If God's leaning something on your heart, you need somebody to pray with, somebody to talk to. We've got prayer partners that are going to be down here at the front at the end of service. And they'd love to talk with you. Or if you want to write a prayer request on a card and drop it off in the back. We'd love, we, we'd love to pray for you. And if as a church, we can help you in your journey with reconciliation, with living out redemption, reconciliation to God, reconciliation to others. We, we want to partner with you. We want to participate in that. So would you let us know? Come pray with somebody down front. But for now, I'd like, I'd like everyone to stand. And I want to I leave you with a blessing. So if you would just stand in, in a posture of receiving, just place your hands out like this. And as those who have received the life-giving breath of God, may you release selfishness, may you release fear, may you release insecurity and doubt. And may you go into your world, into your relationships, into your families, into your workplaces, and your homes, strengthened by the love of God 
and giving that love away to others. May you join God in his redemptive work. Amen. Thanks for being here, friends. We'll see you next week.